0: greetings and welcome to the show this is wrong place right crime i'm your host frank zafiro and this is the season finale uh today we are going to talk to two different guests sarah adlaka and dj holloway now you may say i don't know who sarah adlaka is i don't know who dj holloway is I would say, well, they probably don't know who you are either. And <laughs> more to the point, that's why this show exists, uh, at least in part. It's introduce people to uh, creatives they may or may not be familiar with. Sarah has written her first novel, um, She Wouldn't Change a Thing, which will be out uh, in August of 2021 during the hiatus uh, between seasons four and five for the show. Uh, and DJ Holloway is a filmmaker And uh, he is writing fiction now as well, although uh, he hasn't had a book come out yet. I just thought that uh, the fact that he was able to make a film uh, and uh, and have it see wide release uh, is is a dream, I think, for for many people who are, are creatives. Uh, maybe you dream of having your book turned into a movie, or, or maybe you want to be a filmmaker. Here's, uh, here's what happened with DJ and his story. I think it's, uh, it's encouraging for those of us who are struggling every day to get our art out there and to get it noticed. So we're going to talk to Sarah and we're going to talk to DJ in this uh, final episode of season four of Wrong Place Right Crime, which I'm happy to report is sponsored by Down and Out Books. Now, you probably know at this point that Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of which is at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that appeals to you, you can go to their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. To that end, uh, let's hear from Lance Wright, uh, from Down and Out Books, who's going to tell us about uh, some of the titles that are coming out from the publisher in June. Take it away, Lance.
1: It's hard to believe it's already June, Frank, but with the new month comes a new selection of titles from Down and Out Books. First up is A Place for Snakes to Breed by Patrick Michael Finn, set in the scorched and unforgiving deserts of the American Southwest. The story follows a father's desperate search for his daughter, who is lost in the vicious landscape of interstate truck stop prostitution and its night worlds. Next, we have Wildlife on the Serengeti by Michael Bruce Blackwell, the story of a rich, good-looking teen in the Northeast who is blessed with a violent streak as wide as the Mississippi and whose chief ambition in life is to become the number one serial killer in America. Finally, in a bit of a departure for us, Badge 112, a memoir by Peter Stipe, the odyssey of a cop whose sudden success in his career leads to a downward spiral in his personal life. Thanks so much for allowing me to talk about our new titles, Frank, and I hope you have a great summer.
0: All right, thank you Lance. Some good titles to look forward to there in the month of June, of course, uh, there will be releases all through the uh, summer from Down and Out Books. All right. Well, now let's turn to our first interview of the episode. This is with Sarah Adlaka, who is a debut novelist. And her book, She Wouldn't Change a Thing, doesn't initially jump out at you as crime fiction, Uh, but uh, I think you'll see there's a tie in there. It certainly has an interesting premise. Uh, She was a fun person to talk to, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation uh, and what she has to say. Let's meet Sarah. Well, hello, Sarah, and welcome to the show.
2: Hi. Thank you, Frank. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, you are here for the season finale. So thanks for being part of that.
2: Yeah, it's exciting. Uh,
0: The end of season four for me, but for you, this is your debut novel. She Wouldn't Change a Thing, which is coming out August 10th of uh, 2021. Uh, Congratulations.
2: Thank you so much. It's kind of surreal, the whole experience. So Mm -hmm. it's fun though.
0: you looking at your bio it says that you retired from a psychiatric practice uh, when you moved down to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. How long did you practice psychiatry?
2: So I um, I completed my psychiatry residency in, I believe it was two thousand seven, and then I went into private practice for a couple of years, and I worked in a mental health clinic for a while in Ohio. So I probably practiced for a total of five to seven years um, outside of residency. Um, and then when we moved down to the Gulf Coast area, I was really just taking a break. I wasn't planning on actually retiring. I, I, I don't like to say that I'm in retirement, even though I probably won't go back. But um, yeah, I was taking a break and it's turned into a really long break.
0: Nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> for people out there who aren't as familiar with the mental health field and, and, and that whole area of medicine, what is the difference then between a psychiatrist and a psychologist?
2: So it's a pretty big difference. So a psychiatrist goes to medical school. So I went to medical school for four years and then does a psychiatry residency. So after medical school, you can pick you know, whatever medical specialty you want to go into. So I picked psychiatry. I did four years after medical school of um, psychiatry residency And psychiatry these days is based most, mostly on medication. So medication management, it's more of the biological aspect, the medical aspect of mental health, um, which we're still learning a lot about. Um, it's kind of the last frontier of medicine, I think. And psychology, um, you can, you can go into the field of psychology, which through getting a doctorate or even a master's. And typically you're more dealing with therapy. So you're doing more of like cognitive behavioral therapy or different kinds of coping mechanisms for patients who either do or don't need medication to handle the biological aspect of mental health.
0: That is a big difference. I, you yes. know, I I knew the difference had to do with medication, but uh, honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a layperson's understanding and thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, um, your, your book opens up and, and like I told you before we got started, I haven't had the uh, chance to read the entire book as I only got it a few days ago, but it opens up with a woman who is in that field. Um, and and then it, uh, it, it seems from the description that it then pivots a little bit. Um, I have to tell you, I'm a sucker for time travel stories.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay. I love
0: them. I absolutely love them, even bad ones. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, my wife and I devoured that show, Timeless, when it was on, and that was. I you know, have seen kind of, it. <laughs> um, it's kind of hokey, you know, but it's yeah. – it, I like
2: you know. hokey. That's
0: okay. Uh, remember Christopher Reeve uh, yes. and Jane Seymour <laughs> somewhere in time? You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> love that. You know, uh, there was a good one with uh, Malcolm McDowell where he. he played as the H.G. Uh, Wells, uh, you know, with his time okay. machine. Okay, time machine. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, ended up in like the 1970s San Francisco yeah. Chasing Jack the Ripper. I mean, these are all great. I love the, these alternate dimension ideas and stuff, which is weird because I write crime fiction, right? So you think, right. where's the connection there? And and by the way, you mentioned in your bio that you love mysteries and thrillers. So
2: I do, um, I do. You know, it's funny how I – ended up writing, um, you know, a time travel book. And I kind of was, um, what's the word, targeted as a science fiction author, which I'm completely not. And so, you know, when we first were going down the road of how are we going to market this book, it was, well, sci-fi. And so at the beginning, I had a lot of people, you know, clicking it on Goodreads that were clearly sci-fi readers, which my book doesn't really have that sci-fi feel to it. And I, And I'm, you know, I love historical fiction. I love crime fiction. Um, so how I ended up writing (laughs) time travel and, and kind of going down this road, I, I'm not really sure myself, but I, I do enjoy it. I really do like time travel fiction. I like the whole premise of, you know, what if, or, you know, going back, what if you knew everything you knew and you went back even to like a different era in time before you were even born. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun thing to think about, um, What I didn't realize was how tricky it is to write, you know, until I really started getting edits back and it's like, you know, you really have to focus on what are the rules of time travel, and so you know each person who who write creates a story of time travel has to come up with their own rules. But I mean, you really have to follow your rules and and remember them and write them down because it becomes very convoluted when you know, once you really get into the story.
0: <laughs> it really does, and even great yeah. series uh, of books or or film. I mean, the Terminator series is a great. You know, I enjoy mm-hmm. the hell out of it, but there are some issues with the time travel. <laughs> and the particular kind of time travel that you're kind of focused on is more about becoming a, a younger version of yourself, as opposed to your current self going into a different time. In other words, like 38 year old you doesn't go back in time as 38 year old you. You go back into 13 year old right. you. Or in your book, what what are what is the origin to destination ages?
2: So um, she goes back from her thirty-nine-year-old self to her seventeen-year-old self. It is different. It is, you know, there's so many different types of time travel you can you can have, and and this is more of, and I think that's, you know, sometimes when um, some of the hardcore sci-fi readers read it, it's it's not as, you know, quite as sci-fi as they like. I mean, there's a lot of. There's a lot of ideas of kind of like reincarnation and spirituality in it. It's not a, it's certainly not a religious book. Um, And there's no, you know, specific religion it's tied to, but there is a little bit of that kind of spirituality in there of, you know, what happens when we die? What happens, you know, you know, is there, is there a spirit? Is there a soul? Is there reincarnation? Does everything just end? And so there is kind of a lot of that mixed in there that I think, um, you know, some readers really, really enjoy in the time travel aspect. And while others, you know, clearly don't, they, they, um, I think there were a couple of early readers who were kind of like put off a little bit that, you know, I, I wanted this to be like, you know, kind of like a you know, I can jump back and forth kind of time travel, which mm-hmm. it isn't.
0: Yeah. It reminded me a little bit, um, in that way of the time traveler's wife, where that particular guy that was jumping through time, he had zero control over it. It was just a, right. it was a force of nature that he had to contend with.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and it has been compared to that, to that book a little bit. I mean, Obviously, there's very clear differences, but it is kind of the same concept of you know why does why is this happening to some people and not to others, or if it is, why are people unaware of it? So um, it does have kind of a similar feel to the Time Traveler's Wife, which I actually hadn't read until after I wrote my book, <laughs> which you know a couple of people had asked me about. Oh, it sounds like the Time Traveler's Wife. Yeah, you know, I still need to read that book. <laughs> so. I finally got around to reading it afterwards. I'm kind of glad that I waited, you know, because it's hard sometimes when you read a book that's in a similar vein to your own to not, you know, take pieces of it or, mm-hmm. or compare. Or So I'm, I'm glad I finished my book before I actually read it.
0: I think the worst part of that would be after the fact, reading it and knowing the comparison is there and then coming upon things and having like this dawning sense of dread that somebody probably is going to think you stole it, even though you never read it first. Wow. That's just way too similar. I
2: I know. And I thought about that too, before I read it, because I thought, well, maybe I should read it because what if I'm doing something that's so similar, but it's, I mean, it's different. It's, Mm -hmm. it's quite different. There's really, I mean, besides the time travel aspect. And like the love story involved, it, they're really they're really not that similar. So I felt pretty good, even you know after I read it that I'm like, okay, it's not. I don't think anybody's gonna you know think that I actually took the idea from um, the time traveler's Life.
0: Well, and there's a little bit of an element of of mystery or thriller to it in that, and, and I guess I, I would add to like the whole concept of fate or or the the butterfly effect or whatever you want to call it. Because at least you know I I've read some of it, and the the part that I read early on had to do with with, and I don't think I'm getting into spoiler territory here, where the where one of her patients is talking about you know how she has to make a terrible choice, like she can be happy with someone, and that's the way it happened in in this mm-hmm. version of her reality, but it was at the cost of a terrible incident happening. And now that she knows that that terrible incident happens and can stop it, does she stop it or does she let it happen and cause that misery in order to have her own happiness? And so there's a moral conundrum there and it just opens up so many fascinating philosophical, you know, kind of discussions.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, in that, you know, within the first couple chapters, yeah, she, she meets her, this, you know, patient who's kind of a mysterious patient, um, it's first time seeing her and she's telling her, you know, the story about how she'd come back in time. And, you know, of course, Maria, my main character thinks that she's, um, she's diagnosing the right? hell out
0: of her, right? Right. <laughs> right.
2: She's going through and she's like, okay, schizophrenia. She's having religious Where's illusions. my script pad? She's, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, she's kind of, you know, just kind of half listening because, okay, yeah, she's crazy. She's got, you know, this, we're going to have to put her on meds and then she starts, you know, telling Maria, you know, there's something going to happen to you too, so you need to pay attention here. And you know, all of a sudden she's like, "What?" And so, I don't know if you got to the next couple chapters, but what what ends up happening is this patient ends up killing herself. And Maria's called into a detective's office and she's questioned about it, but not so much that, you know, she's she's being questioned as if, you know if she's implicated she's not implicated in the murder or anything, but the patient left her a letter. And the detective is questioning it because there's obviously something on the letter that um, is making him think that there's more to just her her suicide than than just psychosis. And so the scene with the detective is kind of pulls in the whole mystery of the story, and it and that follows the whole story throughout the rest of the novel. So, oh, as a as a quick aside. Um all of my characters in the book are named after people throughout history. Some of them are a combination of two different people, but it typically has something to do with their role in the book that they um from their roles throughout history. And the detective who interviews Maria in chapter 3, Walt Andrews, was actually the detective um in Scotland Yard who was on the case for Jack the Ripper.
0: Oh. Um,
2: but anyway, the detective is not sharing the letter with her because he's saying, look, this is an investigation, so I can't share this information with you. Um, eventually, you will get the letter because it is yours, but we have to go through and do a, a thorough investigation because we have some questions about her death and some of the things that she said in this letter. So so there is, a, you know, that element of mystery in there, and there is that element of is, some kind of crime has happened. And throughout the rest of the novel, you're kind of learning what what that crime is and how it relates to Maria and how it relates to her going back in, in time. So there is that sense of what that patient tells her, that moral dilemma that that patient had, which was, you know, she'd been brought back in time and she was asked, she felt like she was being told like she had a purpose and she was being told to warn all these people about a tornado that was coming. But if she did it, she would lose her husband um, and so you know, that was kind of her moral dilemma. And so the rest of the story kind of focuses on Maria going back and remembering that story from her patient and facing her, her own moral dilemma.
0: Yeah, it gets to be a real mess. Um, yeah. Another show that uh, Christine and I really enjoyed was a show called Travelers. Uh, I think it went like three seasons. It has the guy from Will and Grace as the lead actor. Okay. Uh, I think Grant's his name and uh, the character's name. I don't think it's the actor's name. But anyway, either way, he's really good in it. But there's, you know, there's all of those ripple effect things that you're talking about, right. and those moral choices. I mean, if I know a plane goes down, killing mm-hmm. 140 people, that I can stop with a phone call. Do I stop it? And then what are the implications of that? was it supposed to happen? Is there a universe prime that is like, this is the baseline for what's supposed to be and everything else is just a shadow or a deviation. And I mean, it's just, there's so many, that's why I love science fiction so much is there's so many Mm -hmm. things to talk about. And you've taken this idea of going back into a younger version of yourself, you know, in a very serious bent, usually like those are, comedy films you know yes. <laughs> go back. And, yes. oh i can ask that girl out to the prom or i can be there, yeah like the you know, whatever, you freaky
2: friday yeah, you know. yeah yeah but you're yeah. going
0: a completely different direction with it and it's fascinating to me that uh uh you know you're able to bring mystery morality and and also you know this this wider you know kind of sci-fi discussion all into play
2: mm-hmm. yeah it was um it's yeah i i really wanted you know. I. I I've, I've listened to interviews with authors at times. And, you know, since I'm a new author, it's all very new to me. And since I, I didn't kind of, when I say grow up, I mean, like in my adulthood, I, I didn't grow up as an author, right? I mean, I, I grew up in the sciences. And so writing to me is, is very new. And so wh- while I've been listening to other authors talk about, you know, what is their goal for writing a story and for publishing it? Um, a lot of times it's, the entertainment, you know, oh, well, it's just for entertainment. I want people to lose themselves for a couple hours. And I feel like for me, I don't know that I really had a goal when I wrote this book. You know, I wasn't, I didn't really have a goal of even getting it published when I wrote it. But when I decided to get it published, I think my goal was more to get people thinking, you know, to, I wanted people to really, I wanted this story to stay with them um, and to, and to really kind of make them question, you know, their own morality, you know, what would I do? And sometimes there isn't a right answer. And I think, I think that's clear when you get to the end of my book. I mean, I have had people in both camps, you know, there's a a dilemma that Maria faces at the end. It's, should I do this or should I do this? And there are, you know, quite a few people in one camp who, well, obviously, this is what she needed to do. And then there are quite a few people in the other camp, obviously, this is what she needed to do. But most people, I think, are somewhere in the middle. Like, well, I feel like this is what she should have done, but I don't know that I would have done it. And as the author, I mean, it's hard because we, you know, you, I don't want to give away the ending of
0: what the no, decision
2: is, but, um, as a reader,
0: you know, I you know, don't want you to.
2: <laughs> right. But even as the author, you know, people assume, oh, well, you're the author. And so you would have done what she did in the uh-huh. book. And it's, and I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I don't, I mean, I, my husband and I were talking about it the other day and I said, I don't, I don't know that I would have had the strength to do what she did, but, um, but it's, it's interesting. And I, and I like that i like that people when they talk about the book are are talking about putting themselves in that position and, and what would i do and and so i think for me it wasn't just about entertainment i mean i hope it's entertaining i want people to be entertained by it and, yeah
0: the two um, aren't mutually exclusive by any means
2: exactly exactly so so i i hope that it does you know i hope i think most people even if they're not crazy about the book have thought, said you know well it, it definitely made me think so so that's my main goal i think <laughs>
0: Well, readers will get a chance to find out what that dilemma is for themselves on August 10th of 2021. Yes. The author is Sarah Adlaka, and the book is She Wouldn't Change a Thing. And uh, I'm enjoying it so far, uh, and I can recommend well, it. You. Uh thank you. And Sarah, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much, Frank. I really appreciate you having me.
0: All right, folks, Sarah Adlaka, uh, like I said, uh, uh, interesting person, cool premise for the book. I really enjoyed talking to her. I Hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. Check out her book when it comes out in August. Uh, she wouldn't change a thing. August 10th, I believe, uh, 2021. All right, before we move on to, uh, talk to DJ Holloway, I do want to turn things over to the experts as I always do in these feature episodes. And, uh, for quite a while now that the experts has meant other writers, uh, in the past, it has also meant uh, bookstore owners and employees, especially those who work at the independent bookstores or mystery-centric bookstores. Either way, you might be asking yourself, what are they experts in? And one of the things that they are experts in is recommending books you should read. Now, obviously, you should check out Sarah's book when it comes out in August and, and DJ's work when uh, when he puts it out eventually. But uh, maybe there's something else out there you could try. Uh, We're going to hear from three authors who all have a recommendation to give you this month. And those three authors are Sean Riley Simmons, Scott Kakawa, and Carmen Jaramillo. Take it away, folks.
2: Hi, this is Sean Riley Simmons, author of The Red Carpet Catering Mysteries and of a number of short stories and a variety of anthologies. Um, My book recommendation, right off the top of my head, would be um, anything that Louise Penny has written, starting with the very first uh, book in the Armand Gamache uh, mysteries, Still Life, and ranging 10, 12, maybe 12 years later to All the Devils Are Here, which um was just nominated for another Agatha Award. I think every single one of them has been. But you will not go wrong either picking up from the first bo- the book right now or going back to the beginning and starting from there. Each book is its own piece of art and it's they're all beautiful and I love them very much. All the Devils Are Here by Louise Penny.
3: This is Scott Kikawa. I'm the author of Kona Winds book I'd like to recommend is called Yakudoshi, Age of Calamity by Chris McKinney. Chris is a fantastic contemporary noir writer based in Honolulu. And Yakudoshi is all about an ex-con named Bruce Blanc. He's half Korean and half white. He gets out of prison and uh, finds out that he has a son who has gone missing. The action is very well paced. It's very Mickey Spillane-esque, uh, if I use a term like that. And uh, I think it's a great read that exposes a lot of Hawaii's um, organized crime and kind of a sex and drug subculture that a lot, that few people are aware of. Uh, the title again is Yakudoshi, Age of Calamity by Chris McKinney.
4: I'm Carmen Jaramillo. I'm the author of episode 17 of A Grifter's Song titled Open Up Your Heart. And in honor of his recent release, I would like to recommend Danny Gardner's previous book, A Negro and an Ofe. Uh, I, this was an incredible book that delivers gut punches in the what I would consider the, the best and most effective way. It is an excellent, excellent example of the way that crime fiction uh, has the, the special ability to discuss and reveal issues of in the serious social issues of injustice and racism and inequality, but also tell a really thrilling, exciting story and show uh, characters that will sometimes cross boundaries and sometimes stay on the right side of the law. And the the, the, the haziness that comes with uh, cre- the crime fiction has to consider who is considered a criminal who is actually breaking the law and what happens when the law doesn't serve the people that it is supposed to protect. So my recommendation is 2017's A Negro and an Ofe by Danny Gardner.
0: All right, there you go. There are some great recommendations for you to try. And uh, don't be afraid to try something from those three authors, Sean Riley Simmons, Scott Kakawa, and Carmen Jaramillo. All of them have uh, been on the show to talk about what they write, so if they interest you, you can go back and listen to their episode and uh, check out their work. Um, Let's talk to DJ Holloway. Now, uh, DJ Holloway is someone who I met through my sister-in-law, Wendy, who is a uh, teacher at high school here in Redmond, Oregon, and uh, she thought DJ and I would get along because uh, I'm a writer, and he's a writer, and he makes movies. Now, his day job is uh, teaching there at the uh, high school, uh, specifically uh, visual arts and uh, TV production and so forth. And I've actually seen some of the work he's done with uh, these high school kids and uh, blows me away. I wish I would have had that kind of technology when I was, you know, 17, 16 years old doing independent film studies. You know, all we had was a couple of VCRs the size of washing machines (laughs) trying to edit from one to the other and a camera that uh you had no battery pack, and so you had, couldn't get far from a plug-in, and, and it was uh, barely, barely small enough to uh, to carry on your shoulder. Um, but anyway, uh, what they have today is amazing, and, and DJ does great work with these kids. Uh, but the reason I had him come on the show is because uh, he was able to realize a, a, a longstanding dream of, of his and become a filmmaker. He made several short films that he's going to talk about and one feature-length film called Innocent Blood. That uh, well, I watched it on Hulu, you know, so that tells you uh, how how well distributed it was, um, and it's very very well done, very stylistic, and it had a few uh, nuances and aspects to it that you don't often see in those types of uh, police revenge films that uh, certainly populate the uh, visual landscape. So let's meet DJ Holloway and talk about his filmmaking career. <laughs> Well, hey, DJ, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I,
0: I, I guess one of the reasons why I asked you to, to come on uh, was that in finishing uh, your film and and getting it out there, um, I don't think it's any stretch at all to say that you realized a long-standing dream, uh, correct?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I had been making films since uh, I was in high school, started as a teenager, and we made a bunch of Feature length movies with no budget, whatever, you know, my buddy would buy new cameras and and pay for whatever costumes he wanted because uh, he had a little more cash than I had coming in at the time. Um, but I would write and direct and we made a series of uh, feature length movies, f- five feature length movies um, uh, in Eugene before we were 25. And so the aspiration was to, you know, move to L.A. and pursue it down there and, and try to make the... The feature film, you know, that was the the deal—a professional feature, um, not with just whatever we could cobble together. And uh, Innoc- Innocent Blood provided that.
0: Uh, so, how did that come together? Because, I mean, you—I mean, you are—you you, you teach high school now as your primary career. Were you, were you teaching then? Yeah.
5: Yeah. When I moved down to Southern California, I, I needed a job and I had my uh, degree in English literature and we found a school that would uh, let me teach English, which was is, was and is amazing. I, I love teaching. Um, and just sort of fortuitously, uh, that was a fellow teacher there uh, was a filmmaker. And uh, as he started to figure out that I was a filmmaker as well, he wa- he ran a uh, festival that he ran annually um, to raise awareness for human trafficking. And it was just a short film festival. And he asked me uh, a couple years prior to Innocent Blood if I wanted to make a short for that to direct a, a script he had written. And so uh, we made a, a short film called Pie and Coffee. And that was our first professional short. And it was really cool to have an opportunity to sort of, uh, I don't know, jump right in to see if everything we had learned from the books we bought on independent filmmaking and through all the films we had made... To see if uh, my best friend James is my production partner, if he and I could, uh, you know, transfer that to the professional arena. And uh, on that, we we did. We and and what was really cool um, is we got to work with we worked with uh, Doug Jones on that uh, picture, of pie and Coffee. And Doug Jones was a friend of uh, the the fellow teacher, son. He's I don't know he's a Pan in Pan's Labyrinth and he's a does a ton of makeup work. Um, he was Silver Surfer in those Fantastic Four movies, uh, not the, like the latest one, but before that. Like he oh he's on the new Star Trek show. He's the like the captain or something. I don't know. Doug's awesome, um, and so like was super rad to to meet him. But then at the same time we you know we had to cast the other roles and this is an indie short film. <laughs> we didn't have any money, and so we cast a few roles at just like you know, cold read auditions um, at, a, at a little place in Koreatown. A few of the actors that acted in that film stuck with us. And it was really cool to see the the organic nature of sort of our troupe being formed because one of the guys, Trip Hope, he got the role in Pine and Coffee. And, and, you know, we didn't know him from Adam. He was just a random actor that our casting uh, director sort of sent us. And he came in. Red got the role and acted with us that year. The next two following years, we made short films again, and Trip was involved in those and had started to work his way into producing and was then a producer. And then he became one of the producers on Innocent Blood and was instrumental in helping Sun find the the financing. And and there were a few people. Another James Jeffrey Caldwell was another person that we hired, uh, again, to act for nothing, for credit, on Pie and Coffee, who became the people later that were helping us fund our, our, our vision for the, for the feature film and, um, and, and some of our crew all same thing. Like they all worked on this little short. And then the next year, uh, I made a movie called sunset. And the next year I made a movie called storm dragon. And each of those years, just those short films, you know, like $5,000 budgets, maybe $3,500 budgets, maybe. Um, and, and
0: what's most of that go for? I mean, is it spread out pretty equally amongst all the expenses or is some stuff more expensive than others?
5: A uh, good question. So, uh, you typically have to hire uh, some of the crew. So you definitely, like, a, a director of photography may work for credit, uh, but they often get paid, uh, same as a, a gaffer who handles all the lights for them. I and mean, some of your crew, uh, most actors, you do not have to pay. Um, they are looking for credit, and they want to, to get exposure. And then we had, a you know, an army of volunteers and friends who who helped with all the production design and, and that kind of thing. So the budget most of the time goes to, uh, like I said, a couple of key um, crew positions, getting a good camera. Uh, we really believed in getting the best look for our films possible and just increasing that every year. Um, trying to find the best camera possible and then food, you gotta buy food. And,
0: uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You You gotta, you gotta feed the troops An army travels on its stomach, right? Yeah. Um, and when you say short film, I mean, a movie is usually an hour and 40 minutes or thereabouts, right? What's, uh, what's a short film constitute?
5: So uh, most short films are in the in the, I don't know, f- five to ten minute ish, maybe a little longer. Um, I tend to have a problem while making short films is that I want to pack an entire three act structure into them and, uh, and and get sort of deep. So mine are normally like I think I think we're at like 18, 15 for Sunset and like 23 for Storm Dragon. So I kind of go into like my little mini epic short films. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's about the length.
0: And how long would, would one of those take to shoot?
5: Yeah, a, f- a few days. We would try to get the production done as, as quickly as possible, knowing that the budget was so limited to feed people and and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Pie and Coffee, I think, was – and I think it was a two-day shoot and we we filmed in the morning. And, and when I say like to have your like professional chops tested immediately, it was fun because I had the schedule out and I told Doug, here's what we're going to get – you know, all that we're gonna get all this by, you know, eight thirty and then we're gonna move inside for these shots. And he was like, Oh, we'll never get through all that by eight thirty, it's fine. And I was like, Yeah, we are, we're gonna. And we did, and it was awesome to like, you know, to hit the expectation I had for myself, um, in, in that regard. But yeah, most most of them were just a few days. I think Storm Dragon was five days, um, once we were trying we were doing that was a big action movie, so a lot more going on, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, and and so each of those was released at the film festival and then we would submit it to at, at, at Sun Kim's film festival, the Talent One Media film festival and to raise awareness for uh, human trafficking. And then we would send it in and I, and I only ever found I'm really like actually horrible at self-promotion. And so, uh, you know, it was like we found one uh, film festival outside of that that I wanted to send it to and they accepted it. Um, and it was the man, what was it called? Uh, Houston Film Fest something. It's I don't know. Anyway, we won awards. So it was like, cool. Like, okay, we got in one and I won. For
0: for which one did you win
5: awards uh, for? I think for each for each of those shorts. Um, And uh, so I want we uh, won. I want to say Best Director for Pie and Coffee and then the Remy Award. That's what it was called um, (laughs) for Pie and Coffee. And then uh, the next year, Sunset won like a screenplay award, a silver and then, uh, and then the next year, Storm Dragon won an audience award, which was which really meant a lot to me because that was the one that I, that I I'm just super proud of because it's like it's kind of the themes and the style of film I really want to make like that action comedy style thing. So,
0: so this all eventually led to you making Innocent Blood, and I I want to hear that backstory. Um, But for people who aren't, you know, it it wasn't a blockbuster, so not everybody's heard of it. Um, Maybe we could start by telling us from a from a viewer standpoint, what what is Innocent Blood about? What's the story? Who are the characters? Um, And then and then then I'd like to hear about how how it came to pass.
5: Cool. Yeah. So uh, Innocent Blood was a script written and rewritten by my uh, my fellow producer uh, son kim uh, over years and years um and it's about a detective a retired lapd detective who uh his son gets kidnapped and the uh the the sort of contact with the kidnapper comes back and he tells him to go back to his old cases and to get it right this time and so he it's then really has
0: really to- kind of vague
5: Right. Yeah. So uh, he has to kind of go back into his old, I don't know, cases um, and get into there. And he sort of he took down the, the you know, the, the history of the, the backstories that he kind of um, he was he took down the dragon of the triad and had uh, and, and made a name for himself that way and had moved on. And, he, and, you know, he set up in that first act as kind of he was trying to be a, a trying to teach uh, and trying to, you know, live that old, leave that old life behind him where he was kind of I mean, he was the man and and struggling in that role because he, he was being domesticated in a way that he didn't feel like was natural to him. So he, there was a there was definitely an element to it, despite the horrible circumstances that he was like in, excited about, like getting back to who he was um, when he was, you know, going undercover and breaking through the triad and all of that. And so I think that's kind of his internal uh, issues as he's working through that. Even as he's trying to figure out what he did, so
0: so it's not a straight revenge story, even though or a rescue story or anything like that. It's a, there's a journey involved as well.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, son wrote it deliberately as a you know a low budget film that we could make. Um, you know, if if we pursued it a different way, then and and certainly the type of film that I would be very excited to make, we might get a little more heavy into the crime or a little more heavy into the action. Um, But we knew we needed to fund it at an independent film level. And so we couldn't have, you know, crazy shootouts and car chases and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So
0: see, that's the thing that's different. Like most of the time on this show, I talk to other people like me, crime writers who write crime fiction novels short stories this sort of thing and those kinds of considerations just never enter your mind right um but when you're writing for film i mean you have to write toward uh, at least at some point budget can figure into how you write it and how and those considerations and that's fascinating to me because it's just complete. it's foreign to me actually is a better word for it
5: yeah absolutely and i've been i've been writing more prose now as i've moved back to oregon and Um, You know, I've been a screenwriter for a long time, but also again, that same tilt where most of the stuff I've written as a screenwriter wasn't written for just, you know, random people. It was written for me to make. And so I always had that hat on. Whereas when I'm, when I'm writing my fiction now, I actually, I have to remind myself to push. Um, because, yeah, you can do
0: whatever you want because you're not right. going to have to film it.
5: Right. And, and <laughs> Somebody
0: else might if it's super popular.
5: <laughs> right. And there's there's great liberation in that, but it, it, it's getting it, it's shaking off you know habits. Two decades of writing mm-hmm. uh, style where mm-hmm. I have limited myself, knowing that I would have to film it. So so yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's
0: you're kind of shaking off a, a self-imposed discipline that was very necessary that that just has outlived its usefulness for for the medium that you're working in now. Um, and so I'm looking at innocent blood here on IMDB. If people want to go check it out, that's uh, there's more than one movie by that name, but this is the one uh, uh, with uh, the, the, the uh, Korean, maybe looks Korean, I believe um, detective on the, on the front there, James park. Um, and it, it stars uh, uh, June Kim, right? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Um, and so, it's got an 8.0 rating, you know. So it's not like you made a cute little film and your mom put it on the fridge, you know. I mean, we're talking about something that was pretty, you know, what what was the reaction to it after after it came out?
5: You know, for the for the people that we could get to watch it, uh, it went really well. We we screened it at a lot of festivals. It, it screened uh nationally and internationally at a lot of festivals. Um, I believe, I'm trying to remember if Lance won an award or was nominated or something. And I know Alexandra won an award for her performance uh, in the the lead, uh, the, the the wife, but it did well. And, and I think, and I don't know, like I, I'm not trying to, I think we made a really good film. Um, I think the script is good, um, but I think the quality of the film was better than what we should have made. The people who watched it early, Um, The people, the people that were going to help us sell it. Um, So we had a $150,000 budget and we shot on the red Epic camera when that was the brand new camera, when no one else had used it. I mean, like two other films were using it and we were like, oh, we, you know, and then eventually everybody had it. So it didn't matter. But the film we made with the, I think the quality of work that we did didn't look like $150,000 on film. We looked like we made a million dollar film. And again, that's still not mm-hmm. like I don't know the highest thing, but like we no, really but it's big.
0: more of an independent film rather than a small film, right? I mean, yeah, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if I have the terms right, but you get what I'm saying, right?
5: Yeah, and and so that part of it, I, I feel like we did a great job, and I will tell the cast was ridiculously good, and so when because uh, June I think is, is wonderful. Lance is really great. And, and CS Lee who is uh, he had a, he had a small uh, role recurring role on Dexter for a long time as the, as one of the lab assistants, CS was our bad guy, CS Lee. Um, they just, they did so well. And so I, I feel like the, the film totally worked. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's slow burn and it's, it's a yeah. drama that doesn't have a ton of shootouts and that kind of thing. But I do think it was effective. And I think people, the, those that, like I said, those that watched it seem to have liked it pretty well.
0: Well, I can attest to it being a good film because I have seen it. Um, it is difficult to see these days. I saw it a couple, three or four years ago on Hulu, I think. Where is it available now?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my my house uh, <laughs> <laughs> on,
0: on DVD, right?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we uh, we we shot it in uh, what 2011 or something and then really tried to sell it. And we screened it all over and kept trying to make a move. And in the meantime, I ended up moving back to Oregon. And then I got, you know, out of nowhere email from Sun saying they finally got a deal, and that we were on Amazon Prime and Hulu. And that was a staggering moment. So like making the film itself was the dream come true. And that was so fun. And getting my buddy James down there and working with me on that and like doing the same thing we had done since we were 16 years old. But just being on a real film in Hollywood was a big deal. But then the, when the legitimacy of it was added, when we had the deal, when it was on Amazon and on Hulu, um, that was great. It was crazy cool. And, and, you know, ultimately shortly it was a two year, I think a two year deal um, that it was on there and, and they haven't renewed it or anything. And I, and I, I think son had said that maybe he's looking at getting it somewhere else still, but yeah, there's
0: more streaming services now, so right.
5: So yeah, yeah. it could exist at other places in the future, um, but that was the part that was the the I made it moment, mm-hmm. um, and and it you know didn't come yeah. with didn't come with millions or or no. anything like that.
0: <laughs> well, now be honest, when it was streaming, uh, you you watched it and you had to freeze freeze frame at the directed by uh, screen, right, and do a, right. do a little happy dance
5: yeah and well like and honestly like the the main thing for me was like i could just go to the like on hulu or on amazon on the landing page like on the landing page for the film it was like innocent blood and it's like directed by dj hall not like not like i because like you know anybody who works on anything the the people who are the crew on that film should be proud of it everybody should be proud of it but like right there underneath the movie is is my name and, and that just was the the coolest you know um and, and like I said, I'd, I've never, I've not made a, a penny from innocent blood and that's okay. Uh, I, I have my deferred contract and if it ever does sell, uh, man, look out because I'm going to be all right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just. Uh, well, there,
0: that's always possible too. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, the big, the trend I've noticed recently as just as a, as a viewer is a lot of um, older. And when I say older, I mean eight to 15 years old, maybe, um, films are popping up on Netflix and, and taking off and, and, and becoming super popular, like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 15 years after they originally dropped. I mean, it's kind of the same sort of dynamic that happened with Eddie and the Cruisers. Do you remember that? Where it just flopped at the theater and I don't even know if they put it out on, on VHS, but then it got to cable. And like it was on HBO and, you know, and people started watching it and it just took off in popularity so much so that they had a, you know, pretty lame sequel. Um, (laughs) but it became a a really big film and, and it had some great music, which was part of it. But like, you know, three years after it, bombed out of the theater. And, uh, and so that's kind of the same sort of thing I see happening on, on Netflix and other streamers now, just the legs of a film can have, uh, are are pretty astounding. And this was a, you know, I think a 2013 release. So like, it's like just a prime candidate for exactly that kind of a rebirth.
5: Yeah, I I certainly hope so. And, and, you know, this was all the beginning of streaming and all that, you know, we were, we want theatrical releases. We want all that. And if, if anything right now, everything, all that is still being worked out. We're still trying to figure out how films get monetized and how they get seen and, and what it means. Cause it used to be, you know, theatrical run or nothing. And Mm -hmm. now that's not clearly not true at all anymore. (laughs) Where like in the, 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 I'm blown away by the amount of films that uh, are coming out. Like the trailers happening on, on commercials during basketball games are for the new uh for an Amazon Prime movie mm-hmm. like like it's mm-hmm. not even going it maybe is going to a limited run in the theater but it's like they don't they're not even, right. even worried
0: that's about not that. the primary destination yeah, yeah
5: so and, and that could be cool
0: um, well, before we go, um, I, I do want to ask you, you. You said you're working on other stuff now. You're you're writing more in the prose arena. Um, are you, uh, you know, kind of playing around, honing your craft, or are there places people can go to to check out your stuff?
5: Uh, coming soon. Uh, we uh, so I, I took the last couple of years and and decided to study the thing that I that I wanted to study my whole life, which is writing uh, sort of officially. And so I I got my MFA in creative writing, which so I'm a teacher. So, uh, you know, I'm able to have a benefit from getting more education. And I said, well, can I study creative writing? And they're like, sure. I was like, awesome. So um, so I've studied that for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, I'm really ready to just sort of get back to writing novels, which I did at the very beginning of my writing career when I was you know, 13, 14 years old. And then I fell in love with film and have been writing screenplays really ever since and haven't written a, a book in a long time. Um, but really, really just falling back in love with that, that element of my creativity and, uh, and hope to this summer, which is uh, 17 short days away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Every teacher
0: knows exactly yeah. how many days, at least yeah. uh, once it hits April.
5: Yeah. Um, what
0: genre are you writing in?
5: Um, so I think I'm going to get into a, a sort of a supernatural crime, if that makes sense. So, it absolutely does. So yeah. w-
0: when that happens, uh, when, when your uh, books are, or short stories are out, we'll have to have you come back around on the show again and and talk about those.
5: Yeah, man, that'd be awesome. Uh,
0: Well, well, folks, the film is Innocent Blood. Uh, We're both not really sure where you can catch it right now, but I bet uh, an intrepid Google investigator can find it somewhere. Uh, It's definitely worth your time. A well-made film. uh, DJ Holloway directed it. And uh, hey, DJ, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
5: Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, folks, there you are, DJ Holloway director and writer and producer i think it's pretty cool i mean you know a lot of people talk about wanting to write a book very few people do a lot of people talk about wanting to make a movie very few people do and here's a guy who managed to uh, make a feature-length film and uh uh, and it saw wide release and so i i'm i'm impressed um And, uh, so if you get a chance to see Innocent Blood, if you can find it, uh, it is a little more difficult to find these days as you, as you heard, but if you're able to find it, uh, give it a, give it a watch and, uh, keep an eye out for DJ as he will be putting out, uh, I suspect some fiction in the future. Um, and, uh, if, if Innocent Blood is, is any indicator, uh, his storytelling, uh, ability is worth watching. All right. And that ends the guest segment for our season finale. Uh, just a couple more quick things before I go, uh, Zafiro update for you. My Anya series, uh, that I wrote with Jim Wilski is on promotion this week. Uh, it's a four book series beginning with blood on blood, which is free uh, through Thursday. And then, uh, queen of diamonds closing the circle. And then the prequel Harbinger are, uh, all 99 cents through Saturday. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, uh, some bargains for you there. Uh, if you're not, don't worry about it. They go on the special fairly regularly, and hey, they're $4.99 a piece or 9 dollars for the box set. So still reasonably priced. Regarding next season, um, I'm, I'm still a, a little bit up in the air exactly what the format of that will be. It may be unchanged, I may make some adjustments. Likewise, uh, anyone you can tell about the podcast, uh, any likes or reviews or thumbs ups or any anything of that nature that you can do on the platform that you listen on is also greatly appreciated. Uh, as long as we're talking about appreciation, uh, I want to say thanks to uh, Downout Books for being the sponsor of the show for the last couple of years. Certainly to uh, Sarah Adlaka and DJ Holloway for being part of the season finale. And as always, to you, the listener without whom there would be zero point to making this show. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, checking out uh, the suggestions that uh, authors make and for looking into the work of the authors who are guests on this show. Uh, Your support is really what makes everything worthwhile. Uh, I appreciate it. The people who come on the show appreciate it, and uh, I hope you're getting something out of it as well. So this is it. Um, I, I'm gonna gonna sign off now. And in June, and I will see you again in September with new episodes of Wrong Place or Right Crime. Until then, this is Frank Sefero, reminding you that sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to right crime.